Hello and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Corny and Lind podcast. My name is Kerry Copley, and today I'm joined with Simon Mason, an associate of our firm. Uh, Simon is an immigration specialist, uh, and today, as a response to the situation in Afghanistan and uh, the inquiries that we have received um, throughout the past uh, week, um, Simon will be taking um, a look at the situation in Afghanistan and provide a summary and uh, provides an um, insight into the current visa um, pathways available to Afghanis. Yeah, thank you, Kerry. It's a pleasure to be with you today to discuss this matter. And obviously, as you just alluded to, our firm has received a very high volume of inquiries from the Afghan community over the past week uh, in relation to the change of circumstances that's occurred in Afghanistan and particularly in Kabul over the last several days. Obviously, as you're aware, President Biden made the announcement uh, sometime in March that the coalition forces would be withdrawing from Afghanistan. Obviously, that happened in a fairly sudden fashion earlier this week, and we all uh, witnessed scenes and images coming out of Afghanistan of effectively the occupation of Kabul by the Taliban forces, uh, with the exception of of the um, international airport in Kabul. These are obviously quite shocking images and do really underscore the significance of the change in government that's occurring uh, in Afghanistan. While at the moment things are highly dynamic and subject to change, and there's still a number of significant open questions as to the type and form of government or regime the Taliban intend to be instituting. What's quite clear is that as a consequence of this change in government, there are now a number of populations in Afghanistan that would be considered to be at particularly high risk of harm. Uh, Obviously, that high risk of harm means that under the international convention relating to the status of refugees, they're very likely to be identified as a refugee were they to be assessed as such. But of course, at the moment, given the dynamic and changing situation in Afghanistan, the potential options available to them uh, aren't specifically very clear at this point. So what we do know is that the coalition forces do remain in control of Kabul's international airport. We do know that there are still a number of uh, Australian citizens and Australian permanent residents uh, in Kabul. What we know is that the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade is currently, and this will likely change by the time this podcast is published, uh, is looking to determine how many individuals uh, that have rights to reside in Australia are affected by this change in circumstance, and they're collecting information on that. Uh, and we expect that there'll be further, further, um, basically, evacuation flights that will be arranged over the next few months. So, Simon, for Afghanis who are living in Australia now, 
um, with family members who are residing in Afghanistan, what are, what options are available to them? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, and it's an extremely difficult question because at the moment, given the dynamicism of this situation, it's likely that there will be further announcements that will be forthcoming and some additional programs uh, that will be set up by the Australian government. Currently, however, I would suggest that there are particularly limited options for family members in Afghanistan. What we do know is that there has been a special program which has been on foot throughout 2021 that it's been specifically related to locally engaged employees or LEEs being interpreters and facilitators of ADF forces over the last 20 years in Afghanistan. So these are effectively the interpreter visas. So this means that if there's an individual in Afghanistan who's had a long-standing connection with the ADF um, and has a profile of concern as a result of that, they may be eligible under that interpreter program. Now, aside from that specific program, there aren't any other specific options under the Australian Migration Program that really are likely to be of much, much or significant help. Under the Family Migration Program, uh, if there are individuals onshore in Australia who have applied for as a sponsor applicant to a family, uh, family migration visa, such as a child visa or a partner visa, uh, there could be options for them to request the Australian government to expedite the processing of those family visas in order for basically a final a final visa to be granted, which may allow that family member to come to may allow that family member to be able to facilitate um, travel to Australia. Now, for individuals where those partner visas or child visas have not yet been lodged. Uh, I would suggest that some of the logistics around the situation in Kabul will make that particularly difficult um, and it will be some time before there's more clarity. But certainly if there is an application on foot, that is something that should be looked at carefully uh, for the prospects to expedite it. Now, in addition to that, the Australian government does run a humanitarian visa program uh, basically the Global Special Humanitarian Program, which does provide an allocation of around 13,750 places per migration year. Now, of that overall allocation, the Australian government has made a specific allocation. This was announced about two weeks ago uh, in relation to 3,000 places for the Afghani cohort. Now, the difficulty, of course, is that given the logistics in, in Afghanistan right now, it's going to be particularly difficult to administer to lodge and administer fresh applications uh, within the country. In addition, one of the features of the Global Special Humanitarian Program uh, is that it has a number of subclasses under that program, one of which is the subclass 202, which does require the applicant to be outside of Afghanistan at the time of lodging. So what that means is for individuals that are currently in Afghanistan, uh, they would be unable to progress down that pathway and would currently need to consider exiting Afghanistan in order to make that type of lodgement. Now, the decision to depart Afghanistan is a particularly difficult and fraught one, primarily because there's a significant 
uh, refugee population already existing uh, in most of the borders next to Afghanistan. We know that there's about 1.5 million in Pakistan over the border. We also know that there's a sizable population of refugees in Iran. And we know that if individuals are in Afghanistan and they flee, at the present, they're very likely just to become part of that much larger refugee cohort outside of Afghanistan. It's quite possible if they flee as well, they will lose their rights to return back to the country. Now, if we keep in mind that the Australian government has only made an allocation of 3,000 places um, in that humanitarian program, those numbers pale in comparison to the overall need that's likely to present. In addition, I think it could also be safely said that for those al that allocation of 3,000 places, that we can expect that there will most likely already be humanitarian visas that are on foot and currently progressing. Uh, it's difficult to see how forthcoming applications would be able to avail themselves that allocation. So as it currently stands for family members that are in Afghanistan, unless there is an existing or pending visa application, or they're in a group where there is a specific, like a, a particularly high risk of harm, uh, it may be in their interest to consider waiting and seeing what the options are. Now to go back a step, um, individuals that we understand that would be targeted at a significantly higher rate in Afghanistan include, as mentioned before, locally individuals with strong ties to the ADF or any coalition forces. Uh, this includes interpreters or administrative staff that was engaged by uh, in, as a part of those operations. In addition, we do know that individuals of Hazara ethnicity are at a high risk of being targeted. We also know that the Taliban is likely to uh, consider targeting individuals that have held office or have been employed by international aid organizations, journalists uh, and media figures or anyone who's had a profile of that nature. To a lesser extent, we also consider that the Taliban is likely to target um, women. And as in addition, there's also other Profiles of concern being LGBTQ individuals, Christians, um, and any other person who's had a specific profile in the country previously. So with that in mind, if there is an individual with a high level of risk profile, maybe we're thinking two or three of those factors mentioned before, it may be in their interest to consider carefully whether or not fleeing is not is is the correct thing to do. From what we understand anecdotally, it is quite difficult at present to get out of Afghanistan. Uh, we've had quite a number of clients present asking us similar questions and from what we can gather, it's, it is, uh, there's quite a large number of individuals in their homes in Kabul, currently deciding what their next steps will be, um, whether or not it's possible for them to flee the country. So to bring it back to your original question there, Kerry, in terms of the options available to Afghan nationals that are currently resident in Australia in terms of their family back in Afghanistan, uh, at the moment, it's a highly fluid and dynamic situation, but we unfortunately find that a lot of the prospects will be quite low for most family members unless they have already got a visa application on foot. Um, or alternatively, they're in the process of departing the country uh, and um, perhaps they're, they're, they've got a, spe a specifically high profile, in which case they might have a marginally higher chance under the humanitarian program.
Okay, thank you very much for that, Simon. So you've discussed the options available to our Afghanis who are living still in Afghanistan. But what are the implications for Afghan nationals who are currently onshore in Australia? Thank you, Kerry. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, in terms of options for Afghani nationals that are currently in Australia, there's a couple different cohorts that will likely be directly affected by the change in circumstances in Afghanistan. The first cohort that's likely to be significantly affected is any individual that's currently in the process of applying for or appealing a protection visa related application. So individuals that still have applications on foot might find that their claims have significantly strengthened, primarily because if their claim was based on the potential or risk for persecution on return to Afghanistan, perhaps by the Taliban, then given the Taliban's change in uh, control over the country, it's likely that their claims have improved significantly. So for individuals that are currently in the process of applying for protection, it's going to be in their interest to amend their claims and add these additional expanded grounds. That's the first cohort. Second cohort that may be affected is Afghan nationals in Australia who have reached the end of their pathway and been finally refused a visa. Now, from what we understand from Scott Morrison's announcements shortly following the change in circumstance in Afghanistan, the Australian federal government is not intending to remove any Afghan national at present, irrespective of their visa status. However, that is of very little comfort to individuals that do not currently have a visa or have a secure pathway to permanent residency. For individuals in that particular cohort, it may be in their interest to consider lodging a ministerial intervention request on the basis of substantially changed country information. We do know that there is provision under Section 48B of the Migration Act 1958 for individuals to appeal on the basis of substantially changed information for the minister to step in and substitute a previous decision. Generally, it's quite rare for this power to be exercised. However, given the magnitude of the change in circumstance, it's quite possible that this would fundamentally change the character of a previously unsuccessful protection visa applicant's outcome. So we'd recommend for any individual that's currently unlawful in the community, uh, whose country of reference is Afghanistan, that they do seek legal advice. And the third cohort, of course, is individuals who are currently the sponsor applicant to a pending family, pro a family migration program visa. Effectively, that's parents of, in relation to child visa applications or uh, spouses in relation to partner visa applications. For those type of applicants, most of whom are very concerned about the status of their partner back in Afghanistan, the best option at this stage is to potentially um, you know, appeal uh, to the Department of Home Affairs for an expedited outcome on the basis of compelling and compassionate circumstances. Now, for individuals that may, might have come by boat and would otherwise ordinarily be subject to ministerial Direction 80, which relates to the deprioritization of family, family visas for individuals that arrive by boat. We do not have much clarity on whether the department uh, is disregarding Ministerial Direction 80. There is certainly quite a lot of ground grassroots 
uh, request for that direction to be disregarded. However, we do understand anecdotally that a number of individuals in that particular cohort, that is to say visa applicants where the sponsor applicant arrived in Australia by boat, we have seen a number of grants come through recently. So that does suggest that even if there isn't a fully formed policy around whether ministerial direction 80 applies at the present, um, there are still prospects for the visa to be expedited. So that's certainly something that a potential sponsor applicant onshore in Australia might want to reach out and seek migration advice about. So they're primarily the three applicants, uh, cohorts that would be most affected by this change in circumstance in Afghanistan. Uh, it might be that later on down the track that we do find the Department of Home Affairs provides a more lenient approach in relation to um, applicants for citizenship by conferral, but certainly it might be some time before we see any substantial change in that regard. I just have one final question, uh, and that is, how can Australians and local Afghani communities um, provide support for Afghanis, um, Afghani refugees? Yeah, great question, Kerry. Thanks for, thanks for that. Look, at the present, it is, again, a dynamic situation that's changing on a regular basis. But there's a couple key steps that can be taken. The first step is in relation to Afghan nationals whose family might be still located in Afghanistan. The first thing that we'd suggest to individuals in that situation is that they make contact with their family back in Kabul or any part of Afghanistan and request them immediately to make copies of their identity documents and provide that to their contact onshore in Australia. The importance of that process is that notoriously one of the aspects that's most difficult um, to represent Afghani applicants in is access to identity and proof of proof of their, their proof of their specific identity. Um, Oftentimes when refugees have to flee in a hurry, identity documents are the last thing that seem to go along with them. So it's important for onshore contacts to assist their family back home by making sure that they've got copies of all the relevant identity documents. And when we say identity documents, it's important to keep in mind that that net should be cast extremely wide and should encompass any document with the individual's name. That should include formal documentation relating to purchases of properties, um, enrollment data, any data of that nature, basically is relevant information uh, to establishing identity at a later point. In addition to identity documents, contacts in Australia can also collect documents from their family relating to any kind of protection claim that that family member might have at a later point. So if the individual has been employed by the Australian Defence Force or any coalition forces, they should provide their uh, details of that employment to their Australian contact um, if they've been enrolled involved in international organization or any kind of Afghani government position that type of information should be retained and provided to, to the Australian contact now it may be that it is considered prudent once those documents have been backed up offshore that the contact in Afghanistan then destroys those documents to avoid any kind of incriminating evidence that would be a matter for personal judgment but either way providing copies of those documents to a contact in Australia means that later on should they be outside of Afghanistan or the country of reference they may be able to rely on those documents to substantiate their claim those two points are quite important primarily because one of the difficulties when we deal with refugees in these type of fast-moving situations is that individuals can flee their house quite suddenly and 
an absence of access to this type of, of necessary substantiating documentation can become a major barrier at a later point to, to, to basically substantiating their claim. So we'd strongly recommend that's a step that Afghani nationals can take in considering improving the family's prospects potentially at a later point. Now, in regards to the community at large, um, certainly migration law is a highly contentious and political area of law. We do see as each new government comes in that they institute fresh policies, and indeed immigration law does change on a monthly basis. Notwithstanding, individuals in Australia who do really want to get involved, um, the one number one recommendation we can make is for you to contact your local federal member and to let them know that you're deeply concerned about the the plight of vulnerable individuals in Afghanistan and would like to see Australia's overall humanitarian humanitarian allocation increased, specifically increased in relation to intake from Afghanistan, but also increased um, on a global level too. Australia on a per capita level takes in one of the smallest intakes of humanitarian visa holders from any developed country. And I think uh, certainly one thing that we can do in this time is appeal to our government for a more generous intake. Uh, with that, that's likely going to base that's likely going to assist quite a large number of family members of individuals here in Australia, and otherwise incredibly vulnerable people find some form of protection. Thank you, Simon, and thank you very much for looking at that. If any of the topics raised today by Simon have raised any concerns for you, please feel free to contact our firm um, by email at migration at cornyandlind.com.au or contact our office at 0732520011. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Corny and Lind podcast. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 0732520011 or go to www.cornianlind.com.au forward slash contact.